Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together with Bruce, we have written three dozen cookbooks, including the latest, the Instant Air Fryer Bible. We are all about air frying. We also have the Essential Air Fryer Cookbook, the only cookbook in which every single recipe is sized out for every size of air fryer. Get that. Every size of air fryer. A great way to start. Just had a high school friend this week. Uh, instant message me on Facebook and say how great it was to have the Essential Air Fryer Cookbook and that it was this great jumping off point to, to kind of exploring his air fryer. That was nice. That was very nice. We're not talking about air frying in this episode of podcast. We're going to talk about dinner party tips. Dinner parties. Mm-hmm. Oh, we try a lot of those. And we've got some tips gleaned over the years on how to keep your dinner party stress-free. We've got our one-minute cooking tip. Bruce has an interview with social media phenomenon, and I mean phenomenon, Max LaManna, and we're going to talk about what's making us happy in food this week. So let's get started. Why should you throw a dinner party? I I sometimes, as I'm washing dishes, don't know. When I'm washing the 20th wine glass, I think, (laughs) why am I throwing dinner parties again? We love dinner parties. We do. Then there's a number of reasons. First of all, you all know that I'm the chef in our duo, and I do most of the cooking at home. And a lot of my cooking is structured and regulated, right, by the books, by work, that I have to cook within a box. And when it comes to a dinner party, I get to cook out of that box. I get to be as creative as I want to be, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to really interrupt right now and say that I'm going to call us back to truth and reality. Here's the truth. You may be the chef in the duo, but when I met you, you made dinner parties by buffet. And let me tell you about this (laughs) goy from Texas. I don't eat buffet. I do not eat buffet. Everything was family style, yes, Gag me, and I don't eat buffet, and I don't want to eat off a buffet. I'm sorry, I don't eat food other people have pawed over. (laughs) And drooled on. Uh, no. Picked at. No. So, no. The well, big, the, and so, I brought the notion to the chef of plating dinner parties. You did. And we now plate our dinner parties and bring plated food to the table because the goy was too uptight to allow buffet. Well, yes, you did. And I also will admit that my idea of a dinner party was always prime rib. Always. So, basically, we ate prime rib rib three times a month because anytime someone came for dinner, I made a prime rib and chocolate mousse and that was it. But that was 27 years ago and I have evolved as a foodie. I have evolved as a food professional. My palate has expanded. but uh, who brought plated dinner parties to the relationship? And we throw dinner parties not only because I get to show off, which I really like to do. Mark gets to show off too. He sets the most beautiful table. He picks the most amazing wines. He puts a playlist together. I do. I build a playlist for every dinner party. It's kind of a wild thing. But most important, what we do is get to be at a table with our friends. And that, to me, is the most important thing of a dinner party. Okay, so we live in a world with a lot of dietary restrictions. And this is my first way to keep the dinner party stress-free. Remember that if somebody says no thanks or doesn't care for what you just put down in front of them, or if it's family style, doesn't take something on the buffet if you are indeed doing it in the non-Mark way and (laughs) serving buffet, don't take offense. You should always, when you invite people for dinner at your house, ask if there are any food restrictions 
you know, we always ask if there are restrictions and are there dislike, you know, distinct yep. dislikes. Yep. Like, no. Like, for example, we have a friend who just does not like eggs in any form. And so I don't know that I've ever served him. And I don't know that Jerry's ever had an egg at my house. Probably not because I just know that he doesn't like eggs. Yeah, he does. I don't know what's wrong with him that he doesn't like eggs, but he doesn't like eggs. So well, there you go. I want to add to what you said. You said don't take offense if they don't eat something or don't take something. I want to add to that. Don't pry. Don't ask questions. No, exactly. Don't ask them why. Because no. you may be asking them someone no. to say something publicly they don't want to say, whether they're pregnant or whether they no. have a problem with alcohol. Or they have a horrible diagnosis. Or they have a bad digestion. Let it be. Just let them take what they want and let it be. Right. I think that's really important. I think it's important to ask your guests now in this day and age, what is it that you can't eat? And then, you know, Always have some uh, alternatives hanging around so that they have something for that person if you don't want to make a completely different thing. And uh, otherwise, you know, uh, you can do as you please. You know, for example, if you can't have, let's say somebody can't have dairy because they're on medication and, you know, dairy blocks the efficacy of the medication. This is a real thing. It is a real thing. Um, and you can always have a really nice bowl of berries for that person, or you can have berries on the de- dessert. Yes, buffet, <laughs> the dessert buffet, and have berries there for them. And they don't have to then feel deprived, right. nor do you have to open your mouth and say, these berries are for you. Oh, God, I hate that. I oh. hate when people do that. Don't make a scene of it. Okay, here's another no, thing. Don't make a scene. Never apologize for your food, right? You went out of your way to cook for your friends, to shop, to cook, to serve. And sometimes things don't always go as planned, right? You might overcook the roast or yeah, I'm gonna, you might I'm, I'm gonna quibble on cook this something. Don't apologize. No one has ever said on the ride home to their house after dinner at your place, do you believe he didn't acknowledge the soggy asparagus? I agree. But there are some cultures in which what is polite to say when the food is put down is essentially, this isn't fit to eat or I didn't do my best. And you may be running into cultural differences. There are cultures out across this globe, and we live in an increasingly global system. There are cultures in which it's almost expected. It's almost like, uh, like I know it's like me apologizing. I, I think I must be from Canada since I apologize <laughs> 500,000 times a, a day for everything. A. A. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, there are cultures in which people do say this is not worth eating or I didn't do my best. And they're not actually even looking for you to say, oh, yes, you did. They're looking for you just to kind of nod and then enjoy your meal. It's just a prefatory remark. Okay, but if that's not your culture, if your right. grandparents didn't do it, your parents didn't do it, right. don't start doing that. Don't apologize for overcooked scrambled eggs, for an undercooked whatever. Just serve dinner and enjoy your friend's company. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I think that background music, we talked about playlists. I think background music is really important. And I build a playlist for dinner parties or evenings with friends. It's just something that I love to do. I love to get on Spotify. I love to pick songs. I love to, you know, like it'll, I'll pick a song by somebody, I don't know, a couple torch singers, you know, Stevie Holland types. And I'll pick a song by them. And then it'll lead me to other choices you might also like. And so I'll just start to build 
the playlists. I don't know all the things I'm picking. I'm just picking things, random things. Or I'll, you know, I'll look up on Spotify acoustic playlists, and I'll start to pick things from other people's acoustic playlists, mm -hmm. or you know, instrumental jazz playlists, or quiet jazz playlists, and I'll, I'll kind of put it together. And I kind of like it. A while ago, we had an Arabic dinner party where I recreated Iranian food for this in this weird, wild recreation of Iranian traditional Iranian dishes. And we've talked about it on this podcast before. And one of the things I did is I picked, uh, I know this is insanely niche, but I picked instrumental Iranian and Arabic jazz. So cool. That and I so know cool. that's like so niche, but mm -hmm. you can find it on Spotify. Spotify and build a playlist out of it. And what worked for me so well was that it was all instrumental. I mean, I love the playlist Mark puts together, but I have one thing I prefer when I'm listening to music at a dinner party, and that is lyrics should not be in a language I understand. I find it distracting. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I prefer to have lyrics in almost any other language. I understand enough French to be able to kind of want to hear it. But other than that, I don't understand and other let me languages. say one, one more thing about uh, this, and then we want to talk about dessert for a minute. If you're inviting friends who are musicians to your house... It is polite to ask if music is okay during dinner. And here's why. Because music is their life, especially if they're professional musicians, uh, that music is actually a part. Like, let's say they're an organist in a church or they lead a chorale or let's say, you know, they're a, a violinist who's making a living, cobbling together a living from weddings and funerals and concert gigs and all that stuff. It's okay to say, is it okay to play music? Because since music is their life, it can be very distracting. It can be. It can, we have a really good friend who plays the tuba and the bass fiddle, and I'm so sure— So no John Philip Sousa during dinner. I'm sure <laughs> that he will hear about this from this podcast, and I'm very cognizant of not necessarily playing music during dinner because he says it's a bit distracting at times, and I understand that. Listen— I talk about, we talked about it, Bruce and I talked about this the other day. We were talking about videos that we were making and we were putting subs on subtitles, right, on the videos. And I was saying, oh, I hate the subtitles. And the reason I hate the subtitles is I'm the writer in our duo. So I uh, deal with words all day long. And if I'm not writing a book for us, if I'm not involved in book production with Bruce and me, then I'm off reading books for all the literary groups I read and for my Dante podcast. I'm just reading all the time. And words are super distracting to me. So when I see subs on a video, I don't even look at the person. I'm looking at the words because words instantly draw my attention. So if you have musicians coming, ask. Just surreptitiously and quietly ask to the side, is it okay if we play music during dinner? Because the answer may be no. Yeah. So it's a funny thing um, about musicians. Okay, so let's talk about dessert. Unless it's a really formal dessert, uh, it's a nice right to have dessert not at the table. Oh, I love to tell everyone, take your beverage of choice, whether it's just water, wine left in your glass, whatever. Let's go to the living room. If we have a fire going, if it's the winter, if it's not, we can go to the lounge and let's have our pudding, our trifle, our yes, cake, yes. our ice Let cream me stop there. And say, yes, Bruce and I are so gay that we have a lounge. You're right. 
we do. <laughs> so that's how gay we are. Uh, we I have didn't realize lounge. it was a gay thing. Oh, my God. A place to have cocktails. I thought um, that's a sophisticated thing. Yeah, well, it's pretty gay. So <laughs> anyway, um, yes, yeah, so we go someplace else, and that's also nice. Uh, we also have an outside fire pit. We bought one of those solo stoves a couple of years ago. And it's nice when the weather is warmer to go light the solo stove and sit out. Oh, I insisted on the aluminum webbed folding chairs. You know which ones I mean. Like when you, if you grew up as I did in the 70s, the kind that went to the lake with you, I insisted on those chairs around the fire pit. So we have those chairs and it's nice to go out there and sit and have a, I don't know, a bourbon and sit around the fire with a, with a dessert after dinner. It's very nice. Just be prepared that your guests are going to hang out for a while, right? That if you have dessert at the table, you're likely to finish dessert and everyone goes home. If you move people to the living room or to the fire pit or to the screen porch or to the lounge or to the deck or around your pool or wherever you move people for dessert, they're not going home for a while. No, not necessarily. Okay, before we get to our next segment of the podcast, let me see. It would be great if you would subscribe to this podcast. If you can rate it, that's even better. And if you can drop a comment, that's the best of all. Remember, this is an unsupported podcast. So the way that you can support the podcast itself as it goes on is doing those things. That's really all we ask. And we thank you very much for doing that and being with us. Okay, up next, as is traditional, our second segment, our one-minute cooking tip. You're going somewhere for dinner or lunch, and you decided to go to the bakery and buy a cake, a coffee cake, whatever it is. You're going to bring it tomorrow to that dinner, and you need it to stay fresh. Here's the tip. Wrap the entire bakery box in plastic wrap tightly. That will keep it fresh until tomorrow. Don't open the box. Don't ruin the ribbons they put on it. Wrap the whole box in plastic. Yeah. Uh, I got nothing to add because that's really honestly the honest to gosh truth. The only time that doesn't work, and there is one exception to this rule, mm -hmm. is if you live in super subtropical Florida and it's super humid. In that case, wrapping it up isn't always, it depends on how moist it is, it isn't always the best option because you can actually encourage mold if it's warm in your house. If you're one of those people that live in Florida and you don't have air conditioning and it's a million Wait, 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 humidity, wait. You live in Florida with no air conditioning? You and I both know people like that. Hey. Okay, so um, up next, Bruce's interview with social media phenomenon Max Lamana. He's got a book out, a brand new book out. You can cook this. If you haven't seen Max Lamana on TikTok, on Reels, you are missing it. He is actually fabulously entertaining to watch. I can't wait to hear Bruce's interview with him. This morning, I am so excited to be talking with Max Lamana, author of the new book, You Can Cook This, Simple Everyday Recipes from What's Left in Your Fridge. Hey, Max. Hey, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Hey, you have won the hearts of millions across social media with your love of food and even more importantly, your distaste for food waste. And you've translated that into glorious recipes that use the most common wasted food in U.S. kitchens. How'd you get started on this path? That's a great question. I love food, and, and I know you do too, Bruce. Just being around food, cooking food, feeding people, seeing the look and the joy on people's faces, I think I wanted to continue to feed without, no, you know, no pun intended. I wanted to feed that passion and that curiosity in the kitchen, and I kept doing that more and more. And little by little, I started figuring out that I can create content on social media. I could share this with people on online and see if it taps in and it taps to their, you know, their, their, their conscious, 
the mindset and lives and see where it takes me. So I'm grateful for, you know, what I do and it, it's a passion of mine. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. And how did you get focused on this idea of using food that usually gets wasted? It all started with working in restaurants. Uh, I've worked in restaurants for nearly 15 years or had worked in restaurants for 15 years and seeing so much food be binned and thrown away on a regular basis. I started questioning my management, started questioning the chefs I was working with. Where is this food going? So just to give you a little backstory, I worked in a pizza restaurant. It was the first job I did. And then I moved up and I kind of moved all over the place from washing dishes to managing cafes and restaurants. And then eventually, you know, the last kind of step in my trajectory and working in restaurants was uh, being a line cook. And so I started asking questions because I'm always curious, how can we do better? Mm -hmm. And I noticed a lot of food was being thrown away. Large dumpster bins of food were being thrown away and tossed. And so I started, okay, where's this all going? And can we just keep the peel on the carrot and the peel on the potatoes? Like I do this at home. But then I started looking in my own bin at home when I was coming home from work and started noticing, oh, I'm throwing away this and throwing away bags of salad and I'm throwing, you know, my bread's going moldy and you know, little things like that. And so I started looking at my own way. Before I could start wagging my finger and pointing the finger at, at, at other people, I needed to start pointing the finger at myself and look at ways. So I started uh, reducing food waste in my own home little by little. And I was in my early 20s at the time and living in New York City where rent is expensive, going out to eat is expensive. So is you know, it was another way for me to save a bit of money as well. You're a vegan. And I have to ask you, do you think anyone limiting their diet just to plant-based food actually creates more waste, peels, cores, stems? And if so, are most of those items still edible? Just to rewind back a little bit, I don't consider myself or I don't label myself as vegan. I eat a plant-based diet. I live a plant-based lifestyle. I think that's really important to, to think about because I still have clothes that still have leather. So I can't really say I'm a vegan if I'm still wearing leather. So that that's out of the way. Um, <laughs> and I don't think I'm limiting myself because there's a wide selection of vegetables and legumes and seeds and nuts and fruits out there. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to waste, there's going to be far greater waste in the plant base and the vegetable and the fruit and the nuts and the seeds. There's going to be far greater waste there because the shelf life of these ingredients is less than your other ingredients, yeah. your milk, your butter, and your cheese in, so, in, some, in some respect. If you have a farmer's market nearby and you have carrots that have the carrot tops to them, most people are throwing away the carrot tops. That's yeah. a, there's a valuable ingredient. It's loaded with flavor. Uh, makes a great carrot top pesto, you know, replacing basil or any kind of herb to make a, you know, maybe a chimichurri sauce. So I think there are ways to utilizing those ingredients. And that's where I started looking. I started looking at the ingredients I was binning or seeing what was like the normal way of cooking and prepping food in the kitchen and seeing how can I use the onion peels? How can I use the potato peelings? How can I use the the crust of the bread if the the bread is stale how can i use the the little the leftover leaves at the bottom of the of the bag of spinach or lettuce that i have how mm -hmm. can i use that can i regrow this can i actually regrow my basil and my mint and other kind of soft herbs so not limiting i think the the, the possibilities are endless when it comes to using those small bits of peels and scraps so many of us just think about making vegetable stock but your new book offers some incredibly innovative dishes that go way beyond things we may have thought of, 
like your carrot, lox, and bagel. That not only sounds fantastic, the photo in the book is gorgeous. How do you turn carrots into a smoked salmon alternative? It was the first recipe actually I tested for the for my new cookbook, mm-hmm. actually, which was um, a real joy. I was testing it, I was playing around with the idea, and then I started having the conversation with my publishers and my agent for the new book. And I said, I'm already started, I've already started working on some of these recipes, and I started with one of them already, and it's called this, it's, I'm making locks with uh with carrots and i thought what and so i think that 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 piqued their interest and so you know most people are throwing away carrots the whole entire carrot but some people are even throwing away the peeling and if you just want to use the peeling you can put that into a in a, in a bowl in a container and let that marinate with a few spices and um, like smoked paprika and soy sauce and a little bit of liquid smoke. You just need a dash of liquid smoke. Mm-hmm. Don't know if you used it in any of your recipes, Bruce, but you just need a dash yeah. of liquid smoke or, 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 you know, two dashes. And then you have it in your cupboard for a couple more months until you come back to it. I'm trying to use it, try to use more and more of uh, the liquid smoke I, I have. Um, but this, it's a beautiful dish and I really enjoy making this because it just marinates. It's simple. You just peel the carrot, mm-hmm. leave it in a bowl, add your spices, let it marinate, and then it's done. It's simple and yet it's really complex in its flavor. There's so many layers of what's going on. There's a few other ways I, I've tested this recipe. I've I've smoked the carrot. I've salt baked the carrot in, in the oven before. And for the home cook... Um, I think it's easier if you just marinate and just leave it in a bowl and you can come back to it in, you know, in an hour's time and just, oh yeah, I have this carrot. Or you could do it overnight as well. Yeah. Um, asking people to do a salt bake or to to smoke smoke a carrot, it can be confusing or perplexed or a, a bit of a challenge for the, the average home cook. One of the other recipes in your book that uses liquid smoke is something that you put on very commonly thrown away ingredients, banana peels. And I think yeah. a lot of people don't even realize they're edible. So how are they edible and what do you do with them? I'm based in the UK and I grew up in Connecticut, lived in New York City for a long time and and, and moved to, to the UK. And I was just asking my audience which ingredients they were throwing away. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the, the spine of the book is asking my audience, people who follow me on social media, which ingredients they throw away. And I collected all of those uh, answers and those replies and made made a cookbook based on the ingredients that people were throwing away. And a lot of people were saying they're throwing away the banana. And then I thought, well, that also means you're throwing away the peel. And there's so much you could do with the banana peel. And so I started doing some research and learned that some S- Southeast Asian countries will use the banana peel in their cooking. They'll mm-hmm. do banana peel curries. Uh, they'll pickle banana peelings. And, you know, the banana peel... I think it's called BLT, the banana peel, lettuce and tomato, the B for the banana peel, mm-hmm. replacing the bacon. I'm trying to get people to think about the food that they're throwing away and just get creative with it and think outside the box. Yeah. And banana peels can be edible. Um, just I just encourage or I implore people to choose organic when possible. Speaking of bananas, we all know we have bananas that are getting too old. They're getting overripe. We all make banana bread. Great. It makes it dense. It makes it heavy. So I was a little surprised to see your recipe for donuts with smashed bananas. And I would thought, well, aren't they going to be heavy? But I think I'm wrong, aren't they? Yeah, they're 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 very light. I think yeah. after you know bringing all the ingredients together, and because it's replacing an egg in there, mm. and 
I thought it was going to be dense too. I thought it was going to be very heavy, but getting it to a, almost a, a really smooth, creamy paste with the banana when it's really, when it's ripe, when it's right at that point where, you know, we all bring home a bunch of bananas and we leave them on the countertop and then we turn our back and we turn around and they're brown, they're spotty. And we just think, oh, got to make another banana bread or I'm going to put them in the freezer and make a smooth. Maybe I'll come back to making a smoothie with these bananas. And so at that point, I think the, I'm not a scientist. I'm not a, uh, I don't have that mindset or that brain, but I, I feel that there's something there where the banana and the sugar and the glucose there, once it's uh, at that point of being completely ripe, becomes very soft, very light. So mixing those other ingredients and then frying those donuts in the uh, in the hot oil um, made these very light and fluffy donuts, which chef's kiss. Another amazing recipe you have in your book for a nut roast cake. And it looks like a savory vegan take on meatloaf. Tell me about this recipe and why you love it so much. Ooh. Coming to the UK, every Sunday there's a roast. I don't think we have this in America. I was never raised on going to a pub on a Sunday mm. in the afternoon and having a roast. Mm-hmm. And for those who don't know what that is, I might be getting this wrong because I'm still trying to figure out my ways here. You go to a pub on a Sunday, you know, midday, and there's usually a few options and people will order a roast and it's some sort of uh, beef with roasted potatoes, some vegetables on the side and some gravy. And people are ordering pint after pint after pint. Yum. Yeah, it, sound, it sounds great. It sounds great. And it's just a, like a lovely experience. It's a lovely atmosphere. Everyone's having a good time. And there's always an option for a nut roast. And sometimes I feel that they're a, li- they're a little bit boring, they're a little bit dry. And I just think, I can, I can do better. I can go home and make myself a nut roast. And so when it's, when it's Christmas time... I always present a nut roast or some sort of vegan dish for for my for my family here in the UK, and this nut roast is savory. It's filled and loaded with vegetables and nuts and leftover bread that kind of bulk it out. Mm-hmm. And I did this like tart to tan, like caramelized carrots on top. So when you flip it over on top, then you have this caramelized carrots on top. And I made it once for Christmas. And my family devoured it and I went back for seconds and there was nothing there for me. So every Christmas now I bring two or three nut roasts. So I make sure that there's leftovers because we enjoy leftovers the next day. It's absolutely beautiful. I mean, the photo of that nut roast is gorgeous. And I want to talk about dessert now for a second. You have a dessert in a book called No Waste Cereal Milk Ice Cream. And the name conjures up all sorts of flavors from Captain Crunch to Fruit Loops. And how does this work? I love cereal. I grew up eating cereal. And it was, you know, like I said earlier, Bruce, the re- the recipes in this book, the hero ingredients are based on ingredients that people were throwing away the most. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing one response from from one of my followers that said, oh, I'm I'm wasting cereal and I'm wasting the milk of cereal. And I thought, what? <laughs> Who's doing that? I mean, that's the that's the best bit. You just tip the bowl up and uh, down 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 the hatch, as they say, right? So I thought, oh, there's there could be something here. I just it might not be one of the main ingredients that people are throwing away, but there's something fun here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, if people are throwing away milk, maybe they can make 
some cereal milk. So all you need to do is soak your cereal in milk, then strain the cereal in the milk. So you have two ingredients now. You're back to the two ingredients you had. You have the soggy um, porridge-like <laughs> leftover cereal and this flavored milk. Yeah. You make this you make ice cream with the flavored milk which in, is infused with whatever cereal you have. You could do yep. anything. Captain Crunch, Fruit Loops like you said. I we don't we don't have Captain Crunch or Fruit Loops here in the UK. We have to go to like a special American store to get those uh boxes of cereal which will will cost us anywhere from 15 to 20 pounds, which is outrageous. Then the leftover cereal that's there, I mix that with a few other ingredients, some spices, some sugar, and I spread that onto a baking sheet and I bake it. So then I have this ice cream, and then I have this crispy um, leftover cereal. So it's almost bringing the cereal back to life, but like in a more thin and crispy textured. And that just kind of breaks off like almost like brittle, but a lot thinner than brittle. And that just places on top of the cereal. And it's just beautiful display. Max, you end the book with a bunch of hacks for using leftover bits and bobs. And your citrus cubes look like an absolute brilliant idea. I've frozen lots of things, but I never thought of doing that. Tell me about it. A lot of people are throwing away citrus. After they've zest or they've juiced, they're throwing away the whole fruit itself. And that right there, there's still flavor there. So I thought, let's just pop this into a blender, whiz it up with a little bit of water and freeze it. And now I can use that citrus, that leftover citrus as a cube, as an ice cube. You can add some sugar in there if you want to sweeten it up a little bit, Mm -hmm. but then I could pop them into a lemonade, a sangria, a gin and tonic, any kind of type of, you know, non-alcoholic or alcoholic beverage. It's a great use for that. And it's also a great way to make gin even better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's just a fun way of using up the ingredients that we already have. And I'm often, yeah. often looking at the ingredients I have. When I look in my fridge or I look at my countertop and I see ingredients, I, I think, how can I use the whole ingredient and make sure that nothing is going to go to waste? Well, you're doing it really well, and your new book is full of recipes that do just that. As you say on the book, you can turn 30 of the most commonly wasted foods into 135 delicious plant-based meals. From your book, you can cook this. Simple, everyday recipes from what's left in your fridge. Max Lamana, thanks for spending some time with me this morning. Thank you so much, Bruce. I So I, I will confess that I didn't know Max Lamana until you wanted to <laughs> interview him. And then I put him in my feed. And now I, I watch him all the time. He's great. He's and fantastic. He's so charming. He's so oh charming. Oh, my God. He's so charming. It, he's really charming. He's smart. His dishes are interesting they've got new twists on ideas he's a lot of uh the food influencers i think don't put a lot of effort into the content they Mm -hmm. put a lot of effort into the production but he seems to put as much effort into his content as his production which is really i mean kudos to him just for doing all of that Okay, before we get to our last episode of the podcast, let me say that we have a newsletter. It comes out, well, it used to come out once a week or so. It it, it took a break, but now it's out again. So I want to say that you can sign up for this newsletter. It's not related to this podcast, but it's alternate content, mostly food content, sometimes knitting content, sometimes lifestyle content, all kinds of content goes on in that newsletter. We would be delighted for you to subscribe. You can go to our website, bruceandmark.com, drop down the page. There's a way to subscribe to the newsletter. And if you do that, I cannot see your name and I cannot see your email address, which means I cannot sell it in 
anyway or even download it. In other words, it's private to you. And at any given moment, you can unsubscribe. So go to our website, roosermark.com, if you'd like that. Now, as is traditional, the last segment of our podcast, What's Making Us Happy in Food This Week? Sorghum syrup. Oh, I love it. I can't believe this southern boy is listening to you say sorghum syrup. Well, I I don't like eating it like pancake syrup, like maple syrup, but I like to cook with it. Mm. It has a grainy savoriness to it. And in Mm. fact, just yesterday, I made a giant batch of granola. And for the sweetener, I use sorghum syrup. And it blends in with the, uh, I used oats and I used barley and I used kamut flakes and the sorghum added yet another grain flavor. It's not too sweet, but it cooks up like sugar and gives you a beautiful crunchy glaze. I love sorghum syrup. Yeah, it's a good thing. So what's making me happy in food this week is we went into New York City. We saw some theater. We went out to dinner at this tiny little restaurant on the Upper West Side, La Boite en Bois. And I want to tell you that it made me happier than you can possibly mm-hmm. imagine. This restaurant had about, oh, I don't know, 10 tables maybe. Maybe, maybe. I mean, really, it was this tiny, old-school Manhattan restaurant. Nothing, I want to tell you, nothing was heroic. I, uh, Bruce and I split the charcuterie board. Nothing on that board was heroic. I had the steak frites. Nothing there was heroic. I had the world's largest ma- martini. That may have been heroic. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had a duck confit salad. Yeah, no, but nothing was heroic. It was just this tiny, intimate, small French restaurant. It was like a Manhattan of 40 years ago. And it just made me so happy. It's downstairs. You go down the stairs to go in the restaurant below the first story of a building. It was just fabulous to be inside that restaurant. I can't explain it to you. It was you. a little jewel box. It was lovely. It was. It was like something out of some old Annie Hall Manhattan, some Manhattan that's long gone away, and yet there it was sitting on the upper west side. It was 68th and... 68th between Columbus and Central Park West. It's been there since the 70s. It looks it. It looks and it. And it was just packed and it was lovely. It was so fantastic. I, it was just so nice to go to a place that was so old school and so throwback and so not even trying to be new just old in and of itself it was fabulous okay that's our podcast for this week we are so glad that you're along with us on this journey thank you for being here thank you for tuning in every single week thank you for rating subscribing liking all that kind of stuff we really appreciate it we know the podcast landscape is full and we appreciate your time spent with us And we look forward to next week, the week after, and the week after that on Cooking with Bruce and Mark.